Warning, this episode contains some explicit content and is not safe for all audiences. Please listen with discretion. When you're doing it alone, if you have that safety of not worry, being worried about how you look, how you sound, how you may respond, if there's no pressure to you know, react a certain way, um, it could be different when you're with a partner because you might be like, ooh, I like that to your partner, but you really don't like that. So doing this on your own is a really great exercise to just start getting embodied. Did you know that 50.2% of American adults are single according to a 2020 study? Over 50%. In 1950, that number sat around 22%. As you can tell, the world is a-changing, but the statistics show that being single is not necessarily a sad layover until you find your partner, but a lifestyle that can be incredibly fulfilling. So I hunted down the author of Playing Without a Partner. Her name is Dr. Megan Stubbs, and she's a well-known board-certified sexologist and writer for Playboy magazine. Dr. Megan combines her favorite topics, biology and human sexuality, and gives a fresh take on not only playing with yourself and sex positivity, but also whether you are in a relationship or not, healthy ways of truly reconnecting with your own body. And that's really where it all starts and ends, right? Your own self-worth. And I have to say, as we close out this sex mini-series, These past four conversations and all the research I've done have sparked so many new and novel conversations with my own husband and countless conversations from you and with my circle of friends and and influence that I know. It's added a new level of focus and interest on the topic of sex for me personally, as my mind is open to new possibilities that I just had just never crossed my mind before. Now, if this is your first time listening, I hope you'll go back and listen to the past episodes because it is impossible to not walk away with a new understanding and conversation starters in your own life. And some are just going to blow your damn mind. We got wild up in here. Now, real quick, I hope that you subscribe to my personal emails by signing up at allisonhair.com. Each email I write is quick and deep. Ha, that's what she said. Okay, here is my chat with sexologist and Playboy writer, Dr. Megan Stubbs. So I love that you have married your two favorite loves, science and sex. You are a sexologist. Um, I am so curious. What do you think? What is the biggest stereotype that you are looking to bust in this time? Um, as far as being a sexologist or yes. just sex and Yeah, general. in general. Like, this is about culture change. I'd be so curious to see what, you know, what are some old paradigms that could use changing? I think that people think as a sexologist, you're just having, like, amazing, effortless, the best ever, swinging from chandeliers kind of sex 24-7. And that, like, literally couldn't be farther from the truth. So... I'm a regular human. (laughs) I put on my pants just like everyone else does. (laughs) I just happen to know a lot more about sex. And so uh, just because you're an expert in the field doesn't mean that you don't necessarily have 
things that come up or things you may struggle with or things that might be like, oh, that's not great and things you can work on um, in your special area. So you just released a book. Congratulations. It's called Playing Without a Partner. What is it? What does it mean? Who is it for? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> this book is so for, exciting. It's targeted for singles, but really anyone single or partnered can really benefit from it. Um, it's just taking a look at your life and looking at how you can live your best single life. So the first half of the book is just about being comfortable in your own skin, finding worth from within and really feeling at home in your body. And so whether single or partnered, anyone can benefit from that. But it's just targeting, you know, I feel like a lot of books in the market are, you know, for people who are like trying to get in a relationship or you're already in a relationship and how do you spice up that existing relationship. And so being single is kind of seen as this like placeholder spot. So it's mm. really empowering and taking this like scarlet S on your forehead as a single person and making that like a valid place of life because people are always like, oh, when are you going to get married? It's like, I don't know, sometime soon. But in the meantime, I'm single. So why not live the best life I can? I think that's such a great point because there's so many people that are single by choice or childless by choice and continually pressured to, when are you going to get married? When are you going to fit into these societal norms? And I wonder if changing, you know, that from being a, a layover stop or some kind of purgatory that you're in to, to being, you know, better. I wonder what your thoughts are for people that are, you know, maybe single, you had talked about being comfortable in your own body. And I would say there are so many people that are coupled or partnered in a relationship or not that are very disconnected from their body. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts around, you know, how do you reconnect with your body? A lot of people will feel like, you know, I don't, my body has changed. I don't feel like it is good enough. Or I, you know, like, I'm, I'm not really into sex anymore. I, maybe I'm just asexual. What are your thoughts on that? Oh my gosh, so much to unpack. So I know. <laughs> Stemming from people who don't feel in connection with their body, this is totally normal and very, very common because unless you're in the sex space or someone who does like an embodiment practice, when have you ever learned those skills? So it can seem like, you know, someone can say, just get in touch with your body. But someone's like, how do I do that? I don't even know where to begin. So mm. in my book, <laughs> shameless plug, there are activities you can do. So a sensate focus, which is an activity coined um, by Masters and Johnson, originally for partners, you can do this on your own, where you just go through and just touch your body with no expectations and just see, you know, it's kind of like body mapping where you're just seeing what sensations feel good, what areas you like to be touched, um, and in what way do you like caressing, scratching, some like percussive tapping, little slaps, you know, so it's a really a chance for you to explore and find out what you like. And also when you're doing it alone, if you have that safety of not worry, being worried about how you look, how you sound, how you may respond, if there's no pressure to, you know, react a certain way, um, it could be different when you're with a partner because you might be like, oh, I like that to your partner, but you really don't like that. Mm. So doing this on your own is a really great exercise to just start getting embodied and, uh, <laughs> refresh me. I feel like there's so much to talk about in that one. I know. I probably, over, well, I, I think it brings up a good point and something I've heard you talk about, which is skin hunger. And I imagine yes. that, oh my God, through COVID, just being touched. And I, I'm not single, 
But I remember in my thing, I was I was like this the quintessential single girl for five years, and I remember like going to get a massage and being like, oh my god. I just want to be touched, you know, and then add a pandemic onto it. Tell me about skin hunger. We need to be yeah, touched, we don't we? Touched. Uh, yeah, spoiler, we need to be touched. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the, of the scientific study there. Um, but this is actually studied in the lab, and it showed that people who don't, people, animals who don't have touch um, have difficulty developing. So translate that into human terms. Uh, we need to have that touch to, you know, sustain our I help for lack of a better term like this is why it's so important for babies to have that skin mm. on skin time with their mother with their father and you know you have that bonding and so especially during a pandemic it's like oh six feet apart don't touch so people can rely on existing relationships especially if they're single with a friend with a family member with a pet um and you can cuddle them and it can be hand-holding it doesn't have to be anything overtly mm. sexual. So you can definitely feed that skin hunger through other means. And if you are off and away, locked down, there's nobody around you, listen, you can cuddle a pillow too. <laughs> um, in my book, I do suggest hiring a professional cuddler, which is a career. Um, but I don't think that they're uh, doing their services quite just yet. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I wonder, is that only in major cities or is it all over, generally speaking? I, it, it's all over. I mean, you just have to Google and say, like, professional cuddler, <laughs> where are you? So I saw you wrote an article about, I love the title, How to Masturbate, because you talked a lot about being alone. How to masturbate when you're never home alone. How do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> you have to be really sneaky. Um, <laughs> uh, if you are someone who is vocal during arousal and sexual, sexual stimulation, um, you know, try and keep it down, put a pillow over your face, you know, try and muffle those sounds, but you can still have great pleasure with others. So if you're in a roommate situation, you live with your parents or something, you can be in the shower, turn the music on. So that way, if you let a little, you know, uh, moan or something, it's not going to be like drop dead pin silent where someone's like, what was that? Was that a moan? <laughs> <laughs> is this house haunted? And it's like, no, it's me. I'm just masturbating in the shower. Sorry. <laughs> I love how open you are about it too. And what about, um, so I, I think we had touched on this before, but I'm really curious about deserve level, about women's deserve level, deserve level to feel good. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of times, generally speaking, the culture expects women to be of service, always pleasing others. But when it comes to flipping that and saying, how do we receive pleasure? Sometimes there might be a disconnect. So again, circling back to bringing about your own pleasure first can be a really safe way to help cultivate those feelings and make it feel more normal when you are being aroused. And then taking that information and then sharing that if and when you decide to have a partner. Um, but again, it's as easy as saying like, just, just get turned on, just, you know, feel yourself. And it's like, I really don't even know where to begin with that. So starting with yourself and then really locking down the things you know you like and the things you don't like that's really great information to share with a partner for the future. There's one thing I heard you say that I thought was really amazing that if you, you know, when, when you are in a single status and a lot of times people say, I, I want, I want to give all this love to somebody else. But what if you took all that energy that you would have put somewhere else into yourself and that 
it could only, yeah. I thought that was really groundbreaking actually, you know, like <laughs> to kind of appropriate, reappropriate this, this energy that you essentially have been saving until, you know, that you find the right partner or somebody you want to be with. I thought that was really groundbreaking. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, oh, duh, why don't I do that? But again, I think it's part of the culture where it's like, we're of service, we're doing more for others. And there's a shame and stigma around, you know, being conceited and selfish. And it's like, self care isn't selfish. And of course, self care doesn't have to be elaborate, you know, spa days and dropping three figures on, you know, hair care and facials and stuff. It can be something as simple as like, saying no, protecting your schedule, and doing things that bring you joy, like reading for pleasure, or, you know, taking a long bath or just going for a walk or turning off your phone and just being unavailable because you're just resetting yourself. It's like, I wish the culture wasn't so shamey on those things that people need to do to sustain a, like a happy life. Because if you keep going and going and going, that's great. You're going to hit burnout. And then when you're in burnout mode, how you dig yourself back up. It's even harder mm-hmm. than if you were just taking a break and just, you know, kept a level playing field. So I'd be curious to kind of pause on the shamey culture side. How in the world did you get into this? Why is this topic of, you know, you have a degree in human sexuality and biology. You are a doctor um, in, in these fields. Why was this so important to you? This, was kind of like a reflection of my own life. I am still single, super single. And I was the friend who was always, you know, being lamented over like, oh, when are you going to get married? Or like, oh, you'll find someone soon. It's like, listen, I'm living my best life right now. And so to be able to share both my personal stories and then professional knowledge into like a cohesive platform, I was like, I hope people like this. And so far, the response has been pretty good. But I think if we don't talk about this and normalize the conversation around sex relationships and singledom, people will, you know, feel isolated and be like, no one understands my plight or like I'm all alone. But it's like, no, this is not a placeholder. This is a valid relationship. You're in a relationship with yourself right now. Have you felt, have people put shame on you or have made some assumptions about you because this is your field of study? Oh, for sure. I mean, I've had casual people just say things to me like, oh, you want to be married? That's weird. I wouldn't have expected that from a sexologist. Or like, oh, you're just into guys? That's strange. I wouldn't expect that for you to be a sexologist. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of things. I've had family members say like, when are you going to settle down and have kids? And I was like, never. I said I was never having kids. It's not happening <laughs> since I was 16. So just people put their expectations or again, the cultural norms, the expectations society has for people generally onto you. And it's like, no, I'm kind of like shifting the narrative, changing (laughs) the culture and, you know, saying this is a totally valid way to live a life. So you are a writer for Playboy magazine, which I think is amazing. And I I have to admit, I have not um, read Playboy recently, but you know, Playboy is looked at in many cases as misogynistic, as patriarchal, you know, what have you seen? What is the truth about your contributions to Playboy? Because all of it is culture changing. I'd be curious to get into a conversation around that. Yeah, I joined the Playboy family at the end of 2016, I want to say, and they had a big shift into being more inclusive. And so I, along with a bunch of other amazing journalists, were onboarded with diverse backgrounds. And we really helped, I think, 
forward the message of inclusivity and pleasure for all with this brand. So just because you started out one way where it was very for the male gaze doesn't mean you can't shift and change. And so the progressiveness of Playboy has been astounding. And I'm just really proud to have been part of that. Um, I really love Playboy. <laughs> I think it's funny when people say like, I read it just for the articles. I'm like, good, because I'm in there. You should read those articles. <laughs> but again, like it's very tastefully done too. And even if it wasn't tastefully mm-hmm. done, I'm not down with like shamey, you know, things like, oh, it's, it's more tasteful than some other magazines. Like, okay, I like sure. all kinds of bodies. If you feel empowered about the photos that were taken of you, amazing, cool, go do that. I mean, I was in Playboy, so I have nude photos out there <laughs> of me. And so, is that right? Yeah. So I feel completely. Oh my god! Confident. I'm going to be googling yeah. Doctor Megan Stubbs Playboy <laughs> images. <laughs> I think it's it's the 60th anniversary edition. <laughs> oh my like goodness, my, that's amazing! Yeah, myself and uh, five other journalists were featured in. So very very. Oh, cool. that's amazing. <laughs> I wonder too, because you are a big advocate of body positivity too. And, you know, what is your advice? There are people that are trying to reconnect with their bodies from all different shapes and sizes and, you know, different, uh, you know, whether they are partnered or otherwise, what is your best advice to, um, you know, around body positivity? The first step you can take right now is curate your social media. So whether you're on like, Facebook or Twitter or like Instagram, especially that's very photo image driven app, go through and look Mm -hmm. at who you're following. Um, Clear your Pinterest board of anything that's not serving you or making you feel happy because all of these images you're consuming are influencing you how you feel about your body. And so, you know, we know bodies are diverse, but when it comes to advertisements, popular media, television, we only see a very select subset of types of bodies. And so If you curate your social media feed and start to add more diverse bodies, whether that's melanin diversity, size diversity, um, age, a whole bunch of other things, you get to see the variations of bodies and how they're all great. They're all good. This isn't about you waking up and being like, I love myself every day because sometimes I wake wake up and I'm like, ugh, not great. (laughs) But I know, like I know my worth isn't just solely tied to how I look. So helping you shift the way you're consuming media is a really great first step that you can do today. But then start to like look at yourself in the mirror critically. And when you say like, oh, I hate my nose, acknowledge you said something bad and see if you can pinpoint where that shame or that unease or that dislike is coming from and then try to unpack that. So it's not to say you're never going to wake up and be like, oh, not good. (laughs) But understand that that's not a forever. Your friends aren't with you because you're a size blank Mm. or you look a certain way. You know, they're with you because they love all of you. You're so much more than a size or a number on a scale. You know, you're funny. You have a great smile. You're dependable. You're, you know, an amazing person. It's a whole package, not just one attribute that makes you good or bad. I think that's a good advice for life in general, regardless of how you feel about your body, because there are times when... I'm on social media and I, when I start dudding and I'm like, okay, I got to stop following, you know, where, where it's my, my own loop of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. thinking bad things about other people or God, I wish I looked like that. You know, like you just, it, it's so important for us to advocate for our own mental health and, you know, we can curate or at least buck the algorithm a little bit too. Tell me about, um, Tell me about the mindset as people get into new relationships. I think you call it NRE, the new relationship energy, which I love. (laughs) Yeah, um, I didn't coin that. (laughs) 
but um, yeah, NRE is just that like high energy you're feeling with all this excitement and potential and hopefulness of this new relationship. And so eventually it comes down because you can't sustain a like high, high, high for mm-hmm. years on end kind of relationship. But it doesn't mean it has to go from like high, high, high to like lowest of lows. You can still keep the spark alive by trying new things, having new adventures together and creating new memories. So that keeps the interest alive and also like the high energy without being like burnout mode of like, I'm so in love. Oh my gosh, posting all over social media. And just because one relationship looks like, you know, a certain way your friends might be like posting all over social media. We love each other. Oh, so much. Hashtag. They have their own hashtag. And your relationship doesn't look like that. doesn't mean that there's a quality disparity because everyone's right Mm -hmm. relationship doesn't Mm -hmm. look the same. There's so much mental health that goes into all of this and mindset. It seems to, you know, for all of it, for body positivity, for, you know, being sex positive, for, you know, really owning your own sexuality or even reconnecting with, um, with your own sexuality. Tell me about, uh, are you, so you say you're super single. Are you on the dating apps? What are the trends right now for, you know, like sexual trends? What's popular? (laughs) Um, I think dating apps are still very, very popular. Uh, For me personally, I statement, I cannot be on (laughs) social dating apps because I'm too Googleable. So I learned that Oh my Early goodness! In my career, do people hit you I, up all the time, assuming that you are DTF? <laughs> you know? Oh yes, yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> so um, for me, I need to either meet them organically in the wild, like we're both grabbing the same <laughs> zucchini at the grocery store, or like pre-vetted through a friend. Um, but I think for other people who aren't in this space, um, dating apps are a really great way to connect. Um, especially if when we were in a lockdown situation, you could still connect via technology and even sustain relationships, thankfully, via technology, whether that's through texting, phone calls, video chatting, um, a lot of different ways you can incorporate sexual play into that too. Um, So just because you're having a relationship and you might not have met in person yet doesn't mean it's any less valid than someone who's actually met in person. So if you want to slide in someone's DMs, that totally works. Like that's a valid way to meet someone. Don't leave with like a dick pic, but you can still connect via That was my technology. next question about dick pics. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it okay to send nudes? Like what, at what point is that appropriate? When you talk about an ask, so unsolicited dick pics, we are not here for. Solicited <laughs> dick pics, we are two thumbs up. Wow. So it just really depends. I mean, read the room and also just be like, hey, Would you be interested in seeing some nude photos? Oh my goodness. It's so different out there now. Are there trends like in general, like sexual trends of what people are exploring today that they may not have been otherwise? I think there's a general interest in a lot of different things, especially with thankfully the internet just being at our fingertips. People have been exploring, you know, kinky styles of play, um, ethical non-monogamy, swinging, um, you know, going into tantra, exploring polyamory i think there's just like a whole wide world of sexual play people can explore using sex toys sex tech um teledildonics like there's just a bunch of stuff people are what trying. is that what is <laughs> teledildonics <laughs> what is sex tech uh this is where you're using uh, a toy and it's like app enabled to be controlled by someone else at a distance oh my goodness so, that know, is I'm such a brilliant idea <laughs> yeah and i'm here in michigan and you have the toy and then I can take my phone and control it 
and we can have like interactive play that way. So teledildonics. Again, I didn't make that word, but what a great word. <laughs> oh my God. It's so, you know, I, what, I, I feel like I have never heard of any of this stuff before. I'm like, <laughs> what? What is going on out there? <laughs> what a time to be alive. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I, I think, I imagine how amazing that must be, especially during COVID, you know, when people were dating, you know, or are dating, um, uh, you know, like through the app. I think some of the, the dating apps and the swipe apps have the ability to do video dating apps right in, right in it, you know, instead of uh, connecting outside of it. So it's, it's a whole different world too. Um, yeah. <laughs> what if you feel turned off and you, you know, like your partner is DTF or ready to go? How do you turn yourself back on? So sexualities, um, and sexual frequencies ebb and flow throughout a lifetime. And so obviously we're still amidst a pandemic. So stress levels are a little elevated. Yeah. Um, but even in normative times, you know, there's always different things coming at you because your relationship doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's family things, work things, life things, health things. So all those factors, you know, tie into like how often you're feeling like you want to have sex. Um, I think if you're feeling like you don't want to have sex, there's no real quick like snap of a finger to be like I'm turned on now um but it's great to communicate that to your partner and discuss you know hey I'm not feeling it right now work is stressing me out or I'm just like not feeling super good I'm not feeling like like I want to have you know pv sex but I would love to watch you masturbate I would love to use this sex toy on you so you can always try different avenues or you can just say no thanks not for me um if you still have that disparity and the sexuality mismatch and it's like kind of ongoing you can do this technique my friend dr jess jess o'reilly she's an amazing sexologist she suggests writing down how often you want to have sex on a piece of paper and then how often you think your partner wants to have mm. sex on a piece of paper have them do the same swap and then discuss your answers so once you can see like i think they want to have it five times a week i only want to have it three and your partner says i want to have it four times a week but they probably only want it two and you realize, wow, we're off by like one day. Maybe we can come to a compromise. Mm. And then I know people think it sounds lame or ruins the spontaneity, schedule sex. But I don't love scheduling sex. I think it's awesome because once you have it on the calendar, you can anticipate it, slow play all throughout the day. And it also helps stop the resentment of like someone saying, oh, I hope they don't ask me for sex tonight. And then their partner being like, oh, I don't want to ask for sex. I'm just going to say no again. Mm. So once you have it like mm -hmm. on the calendar, marked down, be like, okay, I'm thinking about it. It's Do people really have a sliding scale of, um, I don't know, sexual proclivity, but like, is there like a healthy range of how often somebody wants to have sex? Is there really a big swing or is it so dependent on so, so many variables? Can you have somebody who is not really into sex, you know, match with somebody who's really, really into it, you know? Like, I, w I wonder how you come together if, if your natural proclivities are very different. I mean, it's so varied. I mean, in that sense, I'm like, okay, are these people in a closed monogamous relationship? Maybe their relationship mm -hmm. works because they're open and maybe they're swinging or maybe they're doing like um, a hot wife situation. You know, there's a bunch of different ways. What to is it called? Oh, hot wifing. <laughs> That's just, oh, that's, that's a way I, to I just fell off the turnip truck. <laughs> <laughs> that's a way of practicing ethical non-monogamy. Um, that's where your hot wife has, you know, 
sex with another person and you watch and you're turned on by that, but you're not engaging in the sex. So that could be a way to wow. you know, satisfy that kind of relationship dynamic. Um, but there's a bunch of different ways. So it's so it's so dependent on a bunch of variables. Yeah, I'm sure it is, you know, and I think that the ethical non-monogamy is something that I've thought about a lot. I have some friends that, um, that engage in it and, um, and I, and I think that this particular couple comes at it from a place of love and inclusion. And it's very interesting to hear it pop up more and more as something that is being normalized of not, you know, I'm not happy with my partner, so I'm just going to get it wherever I can, you know, or uh, whatever it is, it seems to be more of an open-minded way to explore and a much more accepting way to explore sexuality if there are differences or if that, you know, like if that's what they want. I, you know, and somebody had put it to me, I wonder your thoughts on this, that, polyamory. I don't know if there's a difference between ethical non-monogamy and polyamory, but they seem to be in the same zone for me, will be just as common as gay. Somebody had told me this, you know, like we'll, we'll be just part of the culture. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that's the case? I think so, because I think a lot of people don't realize how common ethical non-monogamy is. So yeah, uh, polyamory is definitely in the neighborhood of ethical non-monogamy. There's a lot of different ways you can be ethically non-monogamous outside of non-monogamy too, or sorry, outside of polyamory. (laughs) Um, So it just depends. I think it's becoming more mainstream because if we look back, this has been going on for decades, but it's only now being brought to like the forefront of like the general population. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be very, very common uh, and more people are going to be speaking out about it. So in your line of work and your, you know, your viewpoint, what do you think should be more normal, normalized in the world of sexuality? What do you think would help our culture (laughs) heal or be more in touch or be more healthy um, when it comes to sex? I think if we can start from the early ages and normalize sex, normalize proper nomenclature for bodies, talk about how bodies work, pleasure, consent, all of these different variables and ways you can express yourself and have relationships, starting from the base form of youngsters, we're going to have a much happier, healthier, better adjusted world. Um, People still have so many adults, adults our age, older and younger, have so many hangups about sex relationships and so many opinions on what is right and what's not right and what's not okay. And it's like, listen, as long as it's consensual between two adults, it's okay. Like there's really no rules when it comes to like, well, that's not the proper way to have this kind of relationship. Is it though? Because if it works for that couple, it works for that couple. So case in point, you're wrong. Yeah. it's not. (laughs) So just having people be more accepting Mm. of what people want to do with their bodies and who they want to share it with. I'm so curious to see how many of these paradigms will break down, especially as religions are brought back into, you know, like the the religious and cultural norms that have been around for eons, even the patriarchal kind of structures are, you know, it seems to me that in many cases they're being dismantled or relooked at or turned inside out. And that is, you know, really the the impetus for this whole show of of how can we make things better with a new world because it's changing. And, you know, like who is at the forefront of it? And, you know, I'm so grateful to you um, 
for being on the show and for being together, the book Playing Without a Partner, right? Is that your first published book? Because you've been publishing for a yes. while. You've been publishing a lot. You're, you've been published in really amazing um, publications, your first book. What was that like? Uh, it was during deep in the pandemic. So I don't recommend writing a book during a pandemic. <laughs> Why? And, it sounds know, like it would be the perfect time. Oh my gosh. I'm watching, like, I'm doom scrolling on social media, watching CNN, like, not knowing what's going on. Just like in the very early, you know, we're going to shut down for three weeks and just see how it goes. Spoiler, here we are, like, what, 18 months later. <laughs> and I'm writing yeah. a book about, here's how to meet people. Go to the gym. Go to your yoga class. Go volunteer. Uh -huh. And it's like, we don't do any of that now. <laughs> so it's Yeah, just, it that was must have been a really... Big mind. Fuck. It was challenging. So I was like, remember when you could go out and meet people? Write about that. <laughs> so it was it was challenging, but um, I'm glad I did it. Uh, it's not at all what I imagined it to be because I've been writing for years. And I was like, oh, 70,000 words. That's like 70 articles of a thousand words. So I can do that. And it's like not even close. Like that's not even how <laughs> books happen. So um, this wouldn't have come together so cohesively and wonderfully without my amazing team at Cleus and my editor who worked with me many times on revisions to make it sound as good as it does. So it's, you don't write a book alone, you write it with a team. Yeah. What has the feedback been like? I bet people have been excited to, you know, kind of get some of those tips and perspective. Yeah. Um, I have this quirk about me where I'm like, I never think I'm good enough, even though I'm, I know I'm a good writer. I never think I'm funny, even though I'm super funny. <laughs> and I had friends who read the book early on, like, this is so good. I laughed out loud. Like, this is great. And I'm like, you're just saying that because you're my friend. I don't even believe you. <laughs> so now when I have like anonymous feedback and reviews coming back on websites and I'm like, oh, someone really did think it was funny or like, yeah, it's really got really great it. reviews. Yeah. I, I need the stranger validation to know, like, okay, yeah, I, I do know what I'm talking about. I think that the validation part is is a big deal now, but you're doing important work. What is uh, next for you? Um, I'm just, you know, booking in-person and virtual speaking this school year. So before the pandemic, I would travel to campuses to speak about um, safer sex practices. Um, now, is this campuses college, high school? What? Yeah. Colleges right now. Um, I would love to go to high schools, but I think they're a little afraid to touch me because I have the word sexologist in my title. So right. we stick with colleges. Um, and so that's that's really fun. Um, doing it virtually, it's a little different, a little more challenging because on Zoom, I don't see people's faces. People don't want to have their face on a sex talk, mm -hmm. <laughs> let alone ask questions in the group chat. So um, I like doing in person, but I understand that, you know, thankfully, again, with technology, I can be all over the country from the comfort of my own home. Yeah. Um, and right before we had lockdown, I was actually teaching on my first and last cruise, um, a swinger cruise. So I also work with the lifestyle community teaching um, oh retreats and workshops and just fun things like that. So that's very different than what I offer on college campuses. <laughs> I couldn't, my mind immediately jetted to swinger cruise, <laughs> what that must have been like. That must yeah. have been so amazing. Yeah, it was great. Um, I brought my sister as my assistant. She's gone with me to like hedonisms and other clothing optional resorts. So I have to make sure I say this is my sister, not my lover. My sister isn't my lover, but <laughs> it's still weird because people are like, are you guys like, and I'm like, no, we're sisters. We don't touch. <laughs> oh my goodness. But 
and she's like a personal trainer, so she's not in this field at all, but she has seen everything. <laughs> so she gets a bird's eye view to what it's like to be hosting a sex workshop. Oh my God. I, I was about to say you should write a book and you did. So um, where can people <laughs> find you? Where can people read your book? You can find me at sexologistmegan.com and I'm at sexologistmegan on all the social media handles. And you can Google my book, Playing Without a Partner, and it's available wherever books are sold. Is there an audio version? There is, right? Yes. It just came out a few weeks ago on Audible. Oh my God. How exciting. Was it fun to record it? You know, I didn't actually get to voice it due to COVID. They had a voice artist do it. And so I had to listen to different voices and I was like... Okay, we'll go with this one because I was like, it's me. I can, you know, really give the inflection of, you know, what I wrote because I wrote it. But they went with a different voice artist. So it's it's good. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. Well, thank you so much, Dr. S- Dr. Megan. We're so excited to have you on. And I thank you for your work as well. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. This is great. Dr. Megan Stubbs, your joy, your knowledge and openness are just plain refreshing. Thank you so much for being on Culture Changers podcast. And for the listener, I hope you take some of Dr. Megan's suggestions and try them out. You can connect with her on the socials or pick up her book, Playing Without a Partner. I've linked everything in the show notes. And as we close out the sex mini series, it is amazing. I've only scratched the surface of topics you want me to cover. I'm going to revisit this later as I want to go deeper in topics like hot wifing, ethical non-monogamy, sex workers, girlfriend experiences. It's seriously endless. I will come back and do another mini-series on sex. But up next, we are diving deep into the psychology behind belonging and what it means for us personally, and especially as adults, how much it means to us to belong and even having maybe more of a sensitivity or being a highly sensitive person. Please make sure you follow this show so you get updates as soon as I publish. And please stay connected with me on the socials and at allisonhair.com where I invite you to subscribe to my emails. Thank you so much for sharing these episodes and starting these conversations amongst your own circles. That is how the culture changes, doesn't it? Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.